Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture reading comes from John's Gospel, the first 19 verses of chapter 21. If you're following along in a pew Bible, you can follow that, you can find that passage on pages 883 and 884. Listen to the word of God. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land and only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. Father, sanctify us in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen.
It's nice to be in a room today with lights and sound. My, what a difference a week makes. You know, there's a lot of important moments in our passage of Scripture for today. From the nets that are filled with fish to the resurrected Christ on the shore feeding his disciples a meal to Simon Peter being affirmed three times by Jesus to go and feed Jesus' sheep. But the part of this long passage that I want us to focus on this morning is, for some of us maybe, a a benign detail that I've come to believe is essential for us as Christians seeking to follow Jesus faithfully and grow spiritually. Think about where we are in the story right now. Jesus has been crucified and then he rose from the dead just as the prophets foretold. The confusion and the shock at what had happened is beginning to settle a bit. The women had gone to the empty tomb and they had seen the Lord and they'd shared the good news that Jesus is alive. And then just last week, we hear that the risen Christ appears to the disciples who were locked in an upper room full of fear and says, peace be to you, and then sends them out. And even though all of that has happened, I have to imagine that even though the disciples have been sent out in peace, even though the reality of what has happened may be beginning to settle in their lives, that they are not yet quite ready to follow fully the mission that the Spirit of God is calling them toward. The disciples are still, I imagine, trying to make sense of everything that has happened to their friend and their teacher, to the Messiah. What is death and resurrection? What it means for them and for their lives? I imagine they're still overwhelmed. They're still reeling a bit. They are still grieving. They are still at a loss for what to do. You can almost hear it in Simon Peter's voice, can't you, when he says, ah, I'm going fishing. It's this acknowledgement, I don't really know what to do in this moment, so I'm going to do something that I know and something that I know well. It's often what we do in our grief or in our anxiety, or in our periods of heavy stress, we pick up something that we know, something that is familiar. Sometimes we do it without even thinking about it. It's just what's comfortable. We go right to it. It's what's rote. Sometimes that's exactly what we need to do, right? To go to something that is familiar when we're lost or overwhelmed. I grew up in South Georgia, in rural South Georgia. Some of you know that. And where I grew up, when it rains, one of the things that you've got to be careful about is driving on dirt roads. Have any of you ever driven on a wet dirt road? One of the things that you learn early on is to be careful about the ruts in the road. 
Because if you get in a rut when it's a wet dirt road, it's really hard to get out of that rut. And that's okay if the rut goes right down the middle of the road and it takes you right on through. But if the rut steers you off the road, if let's say the person who drove that road ahead of you made their way into the ditch, it's not good. There's a chance you're going to follow that rut right into the ditch as well. In the grand scheme of things, maybe this is a coping strategy for the disciples, this going fishing. It's a familiar rut that they fell right back into because it was helpful for them. They went fishing because they needed to do something in the wake of all that had happened. And Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the disciples say, I'm going with you. What do you tend to do when you get to that place in your own life? What do you tend to do? Is it a healthy practice that you participate in? Is it something creative, maybe? Does what you do when you are stressed or overwhelmed or anxious or in the midst of grief, does it connect you together with others or does it isolate you from others? I would suggest for for all of us that unless we've spent any significant amount of time with a therapist or a counselor, we probably all, when we are in times of high stress or anxiety, we probably all have some unhealthy ways that we cope with life when it really gets tough, when the stakes are high. In fact, I've been looking at some numbers related to that. I've been working on uh, some research for a project. And a part of what I've taken a look at here recently are some statistics about how the last two years of communal trauma and national or global grief have affected us as human beings. One study that I found just a few days ago, it was published recently by the Journal of the American Medical Association, and it demonstrated that in the first year of the pandemic, the number of deaths from people ages 18 to 65, it increased 25.5% from the year before through the first year of the pandemic. A 25.5% increase in deaths of individuals ages 18 to 65. That's a staggering number. And those deaths that they were tracking, they weren't deaths due to COVID. They were deaths that were due to the use of an unhealthy coping strategy, namely the increased use of alcohol by individuals to cope during the pandemic. 25.5% increase in deaths, individuals ages 18 to 65. And that number increased for healthy male adults, which isn't surprising, but alarmingly for these researchers, it also increased dramatically for women and for older adults, which are two groups who typically aren't associated with heavy use. How we deal with what we have experienced in our lives matters. 
If the pain that we experience in our lives and in our life together, if it isn't transformed, we will transmit it to others whether we realize it or not. Some of you have heard that insight from Father Richard Rohr. Untransformed pain will be transmitted. Every one of us has done this to others in our lives, and I guarantee you, if you think about it, every one of us has been on the receiving end of untransformed pain in somebody else's life that got passed on to us. We do this in our own lives. We do this in our families. We even do this in organizations like church, and we certainly do it in our communities. Transformation takes hard work. And one of the things that this work specifically requires is our very serious and intentional listening to our own lives and to our life together. All of the great spiritual traditions and spiritual masters emphasize this detail. We have to listen to our life. We have to pay attention to it. In order to grow spiritually, it's a requirement. You can't get around it. If you are going to grow spiritually in your life, you have to pay attention to what is happening and what has happened in your life. So sometimes you have to name what's happened, right? Sometimes you have to sort out what the impact of something might mean for you in your life. Sometimes you have to recognize your own fault Or you have to acknowledge what you do or don't have control over. Sometimes you have to identify what somebody else is to deal with and what is your own stuff to deal with. But it's only through taking time to really listen to our lives that we can hear what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to us. And that work begins with our own life and then it extends... To each other. It's one of the reasons we practice our faith together in community with one another. That's work that we help each other with as well. We come together to give witness to the work of God in our own lives, and we also listen to what God is doing in each other's lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it's, it's important work. It's, it's so vitally important that If we cease listening to each other, we will soon cease listening to God. And that's the beginning of the death of the spiritual life. He says, once we forget to listen to our own lives and to each other's lives, nothing remains but pious words. It's all empty and meaningless if we aren't listening to one another. When you're in pain or when you're anxious or fearful or overcome with what has happened in your life, what do you do? Does whatever you do help you to listen more clearly to your life, to focus, and to become centered so that you can truly hear? The disciples got in a boat and they went fishing. You know, the last time that we're told that the disciples had nets in their hands, do you remember when that was? It was when they were called, wasn't it? 
Don't you imagine that every one of those fishermen, as they were out there in that boat, that they remembered that day long ago and everything that had transpired since? I wonder if as those disciples were back out in the boat with the nets in their hand, if it was a way of becoming more mindful and in touch with where they were in this moment in their lives and more importantly, where God was in their life. They wouldn't have need, even needed to commit conscious thought to what they were doing. It would have been muscle memory, the, the gathering up of the nets, the feel of the lines in their hands, the lapping of the water against the sides of the boat, the rock of the boat, the balance of their bodies against the timbers as they pulled those wet nets up through the dark. Maybe they spent most of that night in gratitude, recognizing the great gift that they had received and that they had been given as they were called as Jesus' disciples. The miracles that they had been able to witness, the friendships that they had made with one another and with others, the ways that they had matured and grown as they had followed Jesus and listened to his challenging words and observed his miracles, the ways that Jesus had, had pushed them out beyond themselves and had helped them imagine and, and help them see the aliveness of God in this world in ways that could surprise and astonish. And maybe while they were in that boat in the dark, maybe they talked about some of that. But I also imagine that there were periods where not much of a word was spoken. Just these men in the dark, casting and pulling Casting and pulling, hoping that the next effort would finally yield results. We're told that they fished all night, but they caught nothing. And we know it takes time, don't we? We know it takes time and it takes repetition. It takes patience, this listening to one another but sometimes nothing happens. Sometimes you don't pull anything back into the boat. Try as you might with all of your effort and with all of your strength and with all of your will, your hands come up empty again and again and again. And there's seemingly nothing to show for it. After all of the effort, you're still in the same place and the nets are still empty. And one of the truths that the disciples run up against is sometimes we all find ourselves stuck in this loop of trying to do the things that we so desperately want to do, except it's the very thing that only God can do for us. That's when the dawn comes. It's always at the dawn, isn't it? Just after daybreak, the risen Christ appears and he's close enough to the disciples and the disciples are quiet enough so that they can hear. And Jesus says, you haven't caught anything, have you? Children, you haven't caught anything, have you? No, no, we haven't. 
Right? It's an admission by the disciples of their powerless that no matter how hard they try, they just can't pull anything into the boat. They just couldn't. They just didn't all night long. I know. Why don't you try throwing the net on the other side? It is such a pivotal moment in this story. I imagine the disciples could have said, look, we don't know who you are, but we got this under control, right? We've done this for a long time. We're throwing our nets out on this side because the current's flowing that way and it unfurls the nets with ease and then we just pull them gently back to us. If we throw the nets out on the other side, it's going to pull the net up under the boat and, and then we'll have to work harder and we'll be off balance. I don't know what the disciples could have said, but we say those kinds of things all the time. Thanks. I got it, right? I, I know what I'm doing. We've never done it that way. That's not how we do things here, right? And whether those words come out of stubbornness or denial, the net result is the same, no pun intended. I don't know if this happens more these days than it ever did or if I'm just more tuned into it right now in my own life, but... But doesn't there seem to be more of an obsession these days on our being right than our getting it right? There's a difference in being right and getting it right. Doesn't there seem to be more of an obsession with our being right than getting it right? It seems to me like more people would rather be right. They would rather be sure. They would rather be rock solid and airtight. They would rather be absolutely steadfast in what they know and how they live their life. Most of the time, it's how they already are and how they're already doing things than to get it right. Because when we have to make the change to get it right, we are admitting that we were wrong or that we have to give a little bit. Or we're admitting that we might need to cultivate a little bit of openness to change or to shift our lives or to grow or do some things differently. In this moment, the disciples get it right because they had been able to listen to the voice of the Holy One calling to them and suggesting that they do something different in order to get a different result. And they chose to listen and to follow. It takes listening and hearing, and it takes doing something with what we hear to get to the other side. That reflection without action, it's just a waste of time and energy. And action without real deep reflection is just misguided and misspent energy. But when we pair those things together, when we listen deeply and then out of our understanding, we act with clarity. We can do something in our lives and in our life together. And in that moment, it wasn't just that the disciples finally felt a tug of something on the other end of their nets, a little satisfaction for their night's trouble. When they listened to what the risen Christ invited them to do and when they cast their nets in a different direction to the other side, their nets are so full that they can't even haul it all in. 
It's an abundance. No, it's an overabundance. And immediately, Simon Peter recognizes it as the work of the Lord. He has seen this story before. And he is so caught up by the generous provision of God that he can't wait to take his next steps towards the one who is still calling him to follow. And it can be that way for us too. May our own deep listening, may our faithful commitment to action out of what we hear compel us in the very same way. May it be so for us this day and all of our lives. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, Come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.